I don't know how to describe it other than like like a demon type of sound. But it's silhouetted, hulking, every bit of five and a half feet wide, 13 to 14 foot tall, pitch black. The one thing that ran through my mind when I had this encounter was I don't have a big enough gun. Your host, two-time witness and field researcher for more than 40 years, William Jevning. Welcome to Creek Devil. Hello everyone, welcome to Campfire Talk. This is where we sit around the fire with our feet up and a cold drink and let the conversation flow. Uh, Tom was with us finally after uh, getting through his situation with his illness and Adam's with us today. So Tom, this is your you know, first Campfire Talk, so let you go. have you go ahead and uh, start things off. Okay, um, well, I think maybe an appropriate place to start off for my first Campfire Talk would be uh, my first experience with the creatures. And sure. this was back in December... 14th of 2017, um, I had gone up to an area here in Oregon that uh, I called a buddy of mine. I said, come on, man, we got to get a Christmas tree. You know, and I don't know if you guys know what a noble fir is, but it's, it's, you know, it's a very nice, easy tree to cut and you don't have to do any trimming or anything. They're just, it's a great Christmas tree. So I suggested one area. Oddly enough, the area that originally suggested well is the one that we have done our expeditions at, you, me, and Adam, and all that. And the guy goes, nah, we're not going to do that. We're going to go to this other place. So long story short, we go up, and we get the tree and work our way down. And it's getting dark. It, we just worked our way down below the snow line out in the Willamette National Forest. And the direction that this sound came from, the only way to get there is to travel through 40 miles of wilderness. So there's nobody there. So we're, we have one little flashlight that we're sharing between us. That sounds not familiar. working that good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was actually a headlamp. It's, it's I, the I, obligatory I light that never works correctly. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you. And you so well prepared, huh? <laughs> yeah, I wasn't I wasn't thinking Bigfoot at all. I was thinking strictly, I want to get this tree, I want to get home, I'm cold, I've been climbing under my truck, I'm getting the chains. And so that's I was fixated on the, on being cold and getting out of there. And so I had my set of chains, and then you gotta move the truck forward, and you know, my buddy's digging out his chains with the headlamp, and I'm stuffing them in the bag. And I had watched just enough of these idiot, well, I'm not using that word, just these shows that, you know, talk about uh, tree knocks and stuff like that. I thought, oh, what the heck? I picked up a piece of stick and I went whack, whack on a tree and <laughs> nothing's going to happen because Tom. it's not going <laughs> to, right? And so I put my chains away. Three, two to three minutes later, literally as loud as a car horn, about 10, 15 yards away behind this old growth dug fir comes this sharp whistle. Like when you put your fingers to, you know, go like that. And we're like, my buddy goes, what was that? And it may, I don't, I don't recall exactly, but it may have been phrased a bit differently. <laughs> you saying it rhymes with we, truck? <laughs> yeah, could it may have, yes. And, yeah, and here's the, with the tree loaded by this point in time or what? <laughs> well, and what caught me was the tone of voice. You know, it can be kind of contagious with somebody's you know, fear can be contagious. And that's exactly where this was. And I was like, you know, that's exactly right. There is nobody here, you know, 30, 40 feet from us making this loud whistle as loud as a car horn. Hey, Tom. Uh, so, yeah. You know, just describing the cold and being tired makes me look ever more fondly at the artificial tree that we have, let alone whistling. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you, man. It, <laughs> it, it's, it's an experience going out. It's, it was five bucks. You pay the Forest Service five dollars. I think they jacked it up to six dollars now, but, you know. The scoundrels. You got you cut. 
Yeah, scoundrels. I just want to know, are you still going in the woods to get your trees? I I do. I do. I love it. Tom, leave, leave the ones fun. leave the ones that are snapped off, you know, up high alone. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because <laughs> But they're easier to decorate. They're well, easier true. to decorate, Will, because they lean over you, that you, angle. You could, you could put the you angel just, or star on, star on much easier. That's right. You can. <laughs> but there actually yeah. was one. that the, you brought. Yeah, it brings back some memories. When we came down, I saw one of those trees, and I thought, there's this guy named William Jevening that I've I bought one of his books, and I've listened to him, and he had talked about these snapped trees and I made a mental note of that. It's like, look at that. Here is this tree about three inches in diameter, about eight foot up, and it was snapped over about 150 degrees. And I was like, well, that's, that's interesting. And that was probably about a mile and a half from where we heard the whistle. Imagine that. So, <laughs> yeah. And, and we, wow. we went there in July. But anyway, so that was kind of for a couple of weeks. I really puzzled over what could make a whistle sound like that? I, I grew up on my grandparents' farm part of the time. We had roosting animals. I'm telling you, roosting animals do not make a sound when they're roosting. They're quiet. They keep it that way. They stay alive longer. So I got a hold, actually, I got a hold of David Boozer, and he got me in touch with you. David Boozer, for those who don't know, ran a, a Bigfoot website for a while, and developed uh wills he's a web yeah he's a web developer yeah he's a web developer so anyway uh will you got a hold of me and you said sure we can we can talk about that he said would you like to come on the show and discuss it and i was thinking well no not really Uh, (laughs) i just want to said oh hell no (laughs) yeah (laughs) if that's the price i gotta Uh, pay i guess I guess I'll do it. And that was my, uh, and you, you, you made an interesting comment on the show. You said those night whistles was one of the more common, uh, experiences that even the native Americans had described, they call them night whistlers. So, and I've gone, been back to the area since found the tree, we found footprints and, uh, that's kicked the whole thing off. All started with the obligatory would knock. <laughs> well, I don't know what to tell you about that. My theory, and that's all it is, it's conjecture, is here's a couple of guys who are, you know, messing around, getting chains out from under the truck. And I go knock, knock, and that's a more of an organic sound. I don't know. I have no idea. Was there a was cause and knocks. effect? Two yeah. knocks. That's it. Two knocks. And I, so... You know, maybe that's knock knock, and the, the who's there? Who's there? And so he whistles. That's that's him saying who's there. That's what that that's was. Exactly what that was, precisely. And <laughs> saying, "Well, boys, come on over." Yeah. The next one was we're getting the heck out. But what really caught me was my buddy. Now he was a school teacher, retired school teacher, but he had run four service crews in the summertime in that particular area. You know, doing brush clearing. He'd been doing it for years. He's very familiar with it. And, you know, there's nothing to be afraid of up there. And his response really was the trigger for me to get all the will because I was like, it, like I said, it was, it was very contagious. It did not make sense. I couldn't. Uh, what what made such a loud, it was a sharp whistle, about as loud as a car horn. There's nobody else up there. We were on the old, and you know, those old forest service roads, those fire access roads. Well, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. They're not paved. There's gravel, yeah, yeah. ruts. Well, you know, <laughs> well, if, Adam, if, you it's, know, if it's not another person, we've been there. Yeah, if it's not another person, it kind of narrows your options down. It really does. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Adam yeah. got broken up there. Chuck, Chuck, do you get whistling in uh, in Oklahoma? Yes, sir. Sure do. Wow. Have you have you ever heard a whistle yourself? Me? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Well, 
here's something that's interesting. A gentleman that we're going to talk to uh, here in the future very shortly said that he was told on no uncertain terms, you do not whistle at nighttime ever. He's he's a Native American. And uh, he said, and you know, you just don't do it. We've heard that from other sources, other Native sources as well, not do not whistle at night because it'll bring them in. And well, I know, let's do that next time we go out well, there with a camera I, I, for I crying know, out loud. And I know, you know, <laughs> saying it on this show, is there somebody going to go out there and try that? Well, you know, if you're on the missing persons <laughs> list, it's your own fault. <laughs> yeah, don't blame us. We warned you. Fair enough. You know, you, no, you I've got to run a little faster than one of you guys. That's all. <laughs> I you haven't know, had any whistling me. in Texas. No whistling in Texas? God. No whistling in Texas. <laughs> Wow. You asked me if I've heard that before, and and um, I'll tell you a little story real quick if you guys want to listen to it. Sure. Yeah. I uh, we went down to a place uh, called Brown Springs. It's um, on the Oklahoma Texas borders, right where the Red River runs through there, and we've been there down there quite a few times. And it's uh, spooky. It's real spooky. Tell them that, Chuck. Uh, it is it is a place that has a history of pretty bad mojo. There's an old cemetery up on top of the hill uh, above where the brown spring comes up out of the ground. And uh, there's a cemetery up there on the hill. And these tombstones are so old, you can't see any names on there. You can't see the dates or anything about the person that's buried there that's how old these these tombstones are wow and the history has it that uh back in the day um people from oklahoma would would cross there going into texas and vice versa texas would come come across to oklahoma in that area and there was a uh, native american tribe there that um was pretty pretty rough and killed a bunch of people coming in and out of across where this crossing was. So there, it's got some bad mojo and, and in back in the, I think it was the late seventies or early eighties, there was a guy and a girl that were, um, just parking out there and they didn't come home and they sent, cops out looking for them and they found uh they found the car at this place and found two dead bodies that were pretty much mutilated and uh you know there's a lot of a lot of speculation as to what actually got a hold of them uh some people will say it was a bigfoot some people say it was a dog man uh so i i don't know anyway we uh, we've done research down there quite a bit, and um, we were actually we we there was quite a few of us there, and we split up into two groups, and um, some some of the guys went one way, and some of them were with me, and we were actually walking down the old river channel um, where the river used to run, and we're walking down there, and it's it's still daylight. Uh, still got a little bit of sun left and we're walking down through there and, and I'm, I'm in the lead and I, all of a sudden I see this tree structure and, um, I stopped everybody and I said, Hey, I said up here about 40 or 50 yards from us, there's, there's a structure there. I said, let's be real quiet and let's, let's get in this area and see, see what we can find. Well, we, we walk up to this structure and I, and I get within probably 20, 30 yards from, from this structure and I pull out my, um, I have a Canon EOS camera that's got a 300 millimeter zoom lens and I got down on my knee and, and zoomed in, um, to the structure itself and this structure, the way, the best way to describe it is it looked like a 
igloo made out of sticks and brush. Uh, it was round like an igloo. I mean, it was very cool. I've never, never seen anything like that before out in the woods. I mean, I've seen a lot of structures, but nothing like that. And um, I was facing the opening um, of this structure. And when I got my camera out and the zoom lens, sorry, sorry about the dog barking. He's, uh, he's antsy. He's got things to anyway, say. Anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, he does. He says, dang it, I will so, be heard. That's <laughs> flavor. Yeah. So I, there was an opening. I was facing the opening. And by this time, the guys had kind of circled around me and, and we're all looking at it. And, um, I, uh, I took, a, I took a picture of it. I, you couldn't see anything on the inside. It was really dark in there. And, uh, so I, I took a picture and when I did my flash hit and when my flash hit, I caught, I caught two eyes at the opening uh-huh. and, uh, I, I told the guys, I said, Hey, there's something in here. Let's, let's surround this thing and see if something comes out we'll know what it is or whatever it could you know it could we thought could be a wild hog it could be a coyote den or something like that we didn't know but uh probably 10 yards from us or 20 yards from us all of a sudden we start hearing limbs breaking and then we started hearing whistles so we were getting, we were getting limbs broken off, and we were getting whistling going on, and there was probably five or six of us that were in this one particular group, and one of the guys had a thermal imager, and he pulled the thermal out and turned the thermal on, and we actually caught a heat signature that was laying on the ground, looking out at us. And it never, it never, never came out, but we had, we had these branches breaking. We had, um, um, the whistling going on. Uh, we heard foot stomps. They were stomping on the ground. And by that time we kind of figured out, Hey, we're in a, we're in a situation that we shouldn't be in. And um i got a we we all had walkie talkies and i called the other group and i said hey you guys got to get over here there's there's something over here in this structure that we found so they come walking over there and there was a guy that used to research out there quite a bit his name's d dos i don't know if you guys are familiar with d or not but d had his group group of guys and and so they they come over where we were at and d had this habit of every time he would go into the woods he would whistle the same tune over and over and when d got up there uh with his guys and so there was quite a few people that look, was looking at the thermals as all this was taking place and so there was multiple people that actually saw the thermal image and what we began to think was that there was a juvenile in there and um, because mom and daddy wasn't happy. And uh, when D walked up to the structure, um, he started whistling that tune. Whatever tune it was, I'm not, not really sure what it was. But anyway, he whistled this tune and immediately, I mean, immediately everything stopped. There was no breaks. There was no stomping. There was no whistling. It just got real quiet. So what we did then is is D actually walked up to the door, or what looked like a door on this structure, but didn't see anything. So he, the way this structure was built, it was actually built on the side of the a great big sand dune, and. D walked up on top of the where the sand dune was 
to try to peek down in there to see what was in there. Well, when he did that, he said he saw something uh, crawl in uh, to the side of the structure and dug itself into this hole and then covered it back up to where it, you couldn't see it anymore. And in fact, we actually lost it on uh, the thermal imager. It just vanished. And, wow. um, and that goes back to, you know, I've talked to uh, Native Americans before who, who call Bigfoot, they call it the, the brother of the beaver. And, you know, I, I don't really know what that means, but um, that whole structure thing looked like a, a beaver's structure. I mean, it was round like an igloo, but it had it had the, the branches were all bent around in, in a big dome looking thing. And on top of the mound that there was actually uh, evergreens laid on top of it to I guess keep the moisture out of it but the funny thing is the very next day uh, we went on the Texas side uh, because we had heard that there were some accounts back in there and uh, so we went to this area and we were walking through reeds and leaves and stuff that were probably 10 to 12 feet they were above us we had to actually use machetes to get into this place and we we were walking down what looked like a pig trail and we get to this point and lo and behold there's another structure like the like the one that we found on the oklahoma side but this one was on the texas side and we looked there was nothing in it but we got a we looked at it and looked inside of it and uh, you could tell something had been laying there, uh, but it wasn't there at the time. And that whole area is, is just a really unique area. Um, and like I said, it's it's known for bad mojo and bad history uh, there. But uh, it is a definitely a good place to to do some research. And you know, um, you know the whole whistling thing made me think of a situation oh gosh it must have been uh 1990 91 i was with a group of friends who were up on the olympic peninsula in washington state on the eastern side and uh one of my friend's wife uh her father had a sighting up there elk hunting one year so we hiked several miles into an area called the buckhorn wilderness and um we were in kind of a big bowl, sort of a, a large depression, or maybe there was just ridges all the way around. It kind of looked like a giant bowl we were in. And we started hearing whistling, and it's exactly like you described, Tom, with, you know, you put your fingers in your mouth and you whistle really loud, right? And then we heard this a bunch of times, and from two or three different directions around us. And somebody says, and I said, well, what the heck is that? Because that time I wasn't really familiar with, you know, the uh, natives talking about these things whistling. I, I'd read it in Green's books, but didn't really, at that time, wasn't really thinking about that. It was, we were just hiking up there. And um, it was not very far away. It was sharp and it was loud, these whistles. And somebody in the group says, oh, that's, that's a marmot. Well, I could see the marmots. They would they'd come out of their holes and they'd stand up and look around when this whistling would go on, but they never made a sound. And you can go on YouTube and, and other places and hear recordings of marmots. They don't sound like that at all. And They, they have a chirp. Yeah, chirp, right, right. So I, I didn't, it, I mean, I was still kind of thinking, no, I'm, I'm seeing the marmots. They're not making any noises. They're, they're on high alert at whatever's making this noise. So I figured, you know, later, many years later, I thought, well, maybe... The creatures were there. They probably stayed out of sight because we were there. And there were probably, you know, six or seven of us in the group. And, uh, but they were probably hunting the marmots. But that's the only... You know, that's that's kind of spooky, though. Yeah, Especially it was. Especially Chuck crawling around in there. Uh, <laughs> they could drag you in there and that'd be it. You'd be done. The burrito, um, you know, the burrito it's funny hotel. You that, <laughs> the burrito hotel. Well, that first 
excursion, okay, the one I just talked about, when we first went up there, um, there's a huge area that is it's just a natural rock slide formation. You got these giant boulders. It's just a, a huge boulder field, 45 degree slope angle, maybe, maybe not quite that. And when we drove up there, I saw this black fluffy tail. It was a fox, I'm sure it was. Um, but it was a black fox with a white tip on it and just dove into that into the uh, into the boulders there. It was funny because I went to the ranger station sometime later and I was like, what, what the heck? That's a big foot. We don't have black foxes in Oregon. Well, apparently we do. But when I went in there and I talked to the rangers uh, or whoever the, whoever the you know, that biologist and stuff behind the counter. And I said, hey, do you have anybody here who's familiar with uh, wildlife biology? And I mentioned the location. And there was about five to seven people there. And you could, it was perceptible that immediately they pretended to continue to work, but all ears were perked up. Everybody started listening. And then I said, hey, I saw this. And I described what it was. I saw what, what looked like a black foxtail. And there is just this sort of communal sigh of relief. You're like, oh, and they went back but they, to work. But they must have known what the whistle was too then, or at least had some inclination to it. Oh, they did, because I'd asked this, one of the, one of the gals there, because I had to go in there and buy maps. She used to be able to get the USGS maps for seven bucks. So I got to know her pretty well. And, and I told her, I said, hey, I, I encountered, uh, they had a little brochure on the wall, just informative thing on Bigfoot. <laughs> And I said, you know, I ran into one of those things here last year. And it's like I slapped her in the face. She got silent. She goes, oh, up there? <laughs> she goes, yeah, there's a lot of them. You know, and she's, I'll, I'll she's bet on you, duty telling me this. I'll bet you a lot of people are out, like, hiking or doing whatever in the outdoors and would hear a whistle like what we're talking about and not think twice about it, thinking it was a person, yeah. another person. Right. Totally. Yeah. Oh, there's somebody whistling. Okay. I, you know, what I'm curious about, Tom, is, and Will, y'all, y'all had these experiences up there with park rangers. Why do you think that they are told not to talk about uh, Bigfoot or, uh, well, you know, uh, they're, you think they're afraid of talking about Tom it? Tom and Adam. You know, not, they have knowledge of it. Tom and Adam, you guys know when we went the few yeah. times to those ranger stations, they they all, I think it was pretty obvious they didn't didn't know anything about it. They were interested, but they didn't know anything. And I think they were milking us for information. Probably, because the one that I just the one ranger station that I just mentioned, uh, I actually talked to the. Apparently, there's one ranger who runs the station, and you know everybody else is under that ranger, and <clears throat> I told her about it. And we were on the phone for 45 minutes. Now, I will say... She was fascinated. Right. I, What's that? I will say one thing. Remember the one forest service person we talked to, and I, I won't give too much information because they don't want their yeah, right. identity mentioned, but this person had a sighting um, and mentioned that uh, their coworkers were all concerned about these things and, and for their own safety. It wasn't like they had. A, I don't. I don't believe there was a ton of information they had, but uh, apparently it was something that was definitely on their minds. I have yet to go into one of these ranger stations and talk to them and have them, uh, <clears throat> you know, discount. No, oh, no, no. They don't exist. They to a T. They've all said, "Well, I actually work behind a counter. I don't go out into the forest, but my coworkers do." And to a T, not a one of them gets a warm, fuzzy feeling with these things. And, you know, there was there's an author I know who wrote a book called Where Bigfoot Walks, The Dark Divide. And it's about an era, It's about an area just to the east of Mount St. Helens. They call it the Dark Divide. It, it's kind of between Mount St. Helens and Mount Adams. Um, but in there, Bob Pyle, and I, I know Bob, he... He mentions in there that um, there was a, I can't remember what his position was. He was Forest Service supervisor of some kind, you know, just off the top of my head. Um, but he was the one that had to approve logging contracts on Forest Service land. 
and he made it very plain that if any loggers ever uttered the word Bigfoot, they would never get a contract again. They called the guy Bull of the Woods. That was his nickname. You know, that's interesting. Why? And we can speculate till the cows come home what, what the reason is behind that. But, uh, huh. Yeah, I just thought well, it was interesting, I, you know? Yeah. Well, and these two different ranger stations that I've talked to, I go in there and I get to chatting. And um, one of them, she goes, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, our guys run into them. And, uh, and they get really serious. The, the tone and the demeanor changes instantly. Well, of course they're going to run into them. They're in an area where they're out in the woods all the time. Yeah, it's an opportunity. Well, you know, the, the, the Mr. Black interview, which, is it all out now, Will, or just pieces of it? Or Well, he, he recorded two hours with us. And what I sent, yeah. what I sent you guys, the transcript was about yeah. one third of it has 10 pages and I, and I still, okay. I still need to go back through and, and make sure that everything is word for word so I can get you guys the rest of it. But, and everybody, you know, we're, yeah. we're working on it, getting it read. So, um, have patience. Yeah. But yeah, that's uh and then well, he's still, he's still going to record more with us. So we're trying to get this first couple hours exciting. done and then we'll move on to recording more with him. But it's, well, it's, it's the kind of stuff where go go ahead, Adam. I'm sorry. The uh, the the point that he that he brought up in the piece of the transcript that I have was that um, in his day, which was I forget 80s 90s back in then, might maybe 70s, but I'm pretty sure. Anyway, um, in his day, if you were in the military and you made an official report of any kind of encounter with these things you were you could you could risk everything you could risk your career you could risk all sorts of things you had to you had to be informal about how you let that information out you could certainly tell your superiors but you by no means could go on the record oh, no. <laughs> and, well and say anything. in the unit i was in at fort lewis you know i told you guys about mm -hmm. the encounter my squad and i had it was well Sort of an encounter. I mean, yeah. I didn't couldn't really see it clearly, but we could certainly hear something on two legs walking around us. And I had fifteen yeah. men that would all attest to that. But um, you know, I, you were dropped into the area. Yeah, we were dropped. Right? We were dropped there by helicopter, and they left us there overnight. And uh, it wasn't <laughs> something that I would have thought about telling, you know, any of the officers in the unit or commander or anything. I mean, mm -hmm. well. <clears throat> That's the same thing when my husband was in the Air Force, and I mean, you didn't talk about UFOs either. So, uh, I mean, you could risk everything if you actually wanted to follow an official report on something like that. I don't, I don't know in the Army when I was in if if anybody would have filed anything like that. I mean, I, I think, I think, from my experience, if you were to tell a superior, you know, if one of the guys would have come and told me, had I not known anything about this, I would have said, yeah, you're seeing things. You know, that would have been kind of the typical yeah. response. It would have, been, you know, you would have blown it off. One of the sergeants would have said, yeah, you know, it's baloney. And that's all the further it would yeah, have gone. Right. And I think even if you'd gone to a commander, some officer, <clears throat> you might have got a little more polite response, but it would have been the same result. Well, did they ever have any accounts of um, <clears throat> park rangers disappearing up there? Um, I don't know. I know I saw an account at Mount Rainier where the ranger didn't disappear, but apparently there was a series of sightings or something on, uh, on one side of Mount Rainier and on our old fr family friend, Charlie, he worked for the park service in the early late fifties, early sixties. And he told me a story one time. He said that, uh, and he was doing, they were doing trail maintenance down in an area called Stevens Canyon. And, uh, and, and I think to this day, there's still no roads that go down there. I think they had some kind of a service road that went down there back in those days, but it was a long way down there. It's a big Canyon. And he says, you know, I saw the darndest thing. I saw this bear standing upright with a, with a steelhead in its mouth. And I said, really? <laughs> and then as he thought about it later, he said, you know, that was no bear. <laughs> 
Well, have, have you all heard about the disappearances in the Angeles Forest down in California? Adam, just in the last oh, two weeks. Oh, tell me about it. That's my neighborhood. I haven't <clears throat> heard about it. Well, I, I just heard about it this afternoon. My daughter called me, and uh, Michelle, uh, she's just <laughs> she's gone crazy now. It's just like she's a crazy woman with this. Uh, after she had the found the footprints. Um, uh, she, and I don't know if it has anything to do with Bigfoot, but they, they had four people that disappeared uh, on Mount Baldy okay. <clears throat> that they haven't found. And that was, I think, in the last two or three weeks. And then there was a uh, there's an actor that went into the Angeles Forest just to go for a day hike. And his name's Julian Sands. I don't I don't know. I'll have to look him up because I don't know who he is, but y'all may know who he is. Uh, but she said if I saw his face that I'd know know who he was, but his name's Julian Sands. He's been gone for over a week, and they can't find him. You know, I, I think oh, really? I think that's the area that Mount yeah. Baldy was, Adams, where uh, Joe Rogan interviewed me. <laughs> and, and I thought at the time, I thought, oh, well, you know, this could be this could be a place where they'd be. You wouldn't, probably wouldn't see a lot of them in that area, but who knows, right? Oh, well, yeah. Well, we I had that guy. Go ahead, Adam. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I can tell you this much. Um, so the part of the Angeles Forest that I stomp around for the most part is relative. When I say developed, I mean like there's campsites and there's there's uh, you know maintenance uh, communities, if you will. There's like you know there's there's there there are I wouldn't say neighborhoods. You know, I, it's like five houses, right? <laughs> you know, but. Uh, and a little fire station and little things up there, but, um, but lots and lots of wilderness, but it's mostly kind of scrub brush. It's that kind of, uh, mesquite and things like that. Now there are copses on the hilltops of, uh, uh, you get the ponderosa pine and you get a lot of, you get, you do get the old growth up there. The, the medium growth has all been burned away. We've had, we had the station fire in 2009. And then two years ago, we had, uh, another back when California was burning down, you know, um, and it, it took out all the medium growth and the, and the young growth, but, um, but the old growth is still there. And, uh, uh, there is particularly, there's a very large forested area that to my knowledge has not been burned and you can, it's accessible, um, uh, to a, to a very limited degree. And it's basically where, uh, rock Canyon, there's a rock Canyon campground. And there was a lot of activity in that area. It is uh, adjacent to Devil's Punch Bowl. And, uh, and, of course, you know, we all know when uh, an area has been named with Devil in the title and it's out in the wilderness, ordinarily that implies that you know, our, our fuzzy friends have been there. We have, I actually have an <laughs> but, interesting uh, connection to that area, by the way. Uh, Tom, you remember oh, wow. we had Paul on who grew up in the same area that, yes. that Tony yes. did? And and Burbank isn't really it's that far from where you get out to that area, and that's where. Oh no, it's not. Yeah, it's it's at the foot base of the foothills. Yeah, yeah. well, the, apparently one of these things had come right into that area. This was what back in the seventies, wasn't it, Tom? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, and chased. Yeah. There was a lot of activity reported in the seventies. Yeah, definitely. Well, so it, it came down are... the wash or that kind of thing. Yeah, it. Um, I don't remember what episode that was, unfortunately, but it was it was a really good interview. That he had some really interesting. In fact, didn't it? It did something to his bike, which was reminiscent to yes. the story that T.W. Oh, no. told told us in Texas. In te- yeah, yeah, yeah. It bent it bent the bike, and that's one of those Schwinn. You know those. Remember those, yeah, we those all, kids? We all had Schwinn's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep. uh, with the handlebar. Yep. Those are stout bikes. That was yeah. rolled steel. That wasn't the aluminum ones. Those were heavy-duty bikes. Um, but here in Oregon, we had, uh, who was the guy? There was an actor from Seinfeld who ended up similar situation. Now, they, they, they did a recovery, but everything pointed to, well, he had been, uh, he was found at the bottom of a It was really his strange. Been, it was really strange. Yeah, his pants had been removed. And well, that's his, always never a good thing. <laughs> no, no, no. But, but he had been, they had eaten his soft tissue parts. Um, and it was a bear. A bear did it. Bears oh, get blamed for stuff bear. they had nothing to do with. 
That's the bear, yeah. You know, it's always the bears. Those poor bears get blamed for everything. Well, it's, well, it's the only can't defend themselves. It's, it's the fallback. It's the only thing people think could do something like it's the only thing out there. Well, they don't take into consideration there could be something else out there. With hands. Well, I think we're all aware there's plenty of somethings, other things out there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we are. That, that area I was describing on, on uh, you know, Rock, Rock Creek, uh, the, the Rock Creek Campground, and then Devil's Punch Bowl. And then if you look, basically the uh, north face of the uh, mountain range of the Angeles Forest, there's this gigantic forested area that you can't, go into because it's it's just it's just the the face of the mountain basically uh and um at the base of it there's a uh uh california corrections facility down there where they put the the uh the prisoners who they use for when when you know fires break out they they bring those guys out to they, so some of the prisoners trained to be fire firemen if you will and working for the county and so that are in uh, in that facility, and so basically, yeah, you know, hikers don't just go boogieing through the friggin' prison yard, you know, and up the mountain. So you know, you know it's it's protected. It's it's protected area. In Skamania County, Washington, there was one of those. I don't know if it's still there or not, but it was when I first moved to Vancouver. Um, you know, we drove out in that area, and I started looking over that region. And back at that time, in the mid '80s. It was still pretty much, you know, the timber wasn't cut. There weren't a ton of roads out there. There weren't a lot of people out there. And they yeah. had one of those. It was a minimum minimum security facility. So, I mean, you know, the guys could easily escape if they wanted to. But it was a hell of a long hike to get out to any place, you know. And and, and that area was full of Sasquatches. So, <laughs> they probably, if they tried to get away, not a good plan. Bad plan, very bad. Very bad. I, I'm well, sure that wasn't in their mind the, when they put it out there, but you know, added <laughs> bonus, I guess. <laughs> it, it's yeah. sort of the land equivalent of, of trying to escape from Alcatraz. Here you got yeah. great white sharks, and here you got Sasquatch. Out in the middle of bloody nowhere. Yeah. Wow. Well, and I'm looking. Apparently, this Julian Sands, they still haven't found him. He's still missing. Yeah, that's wow. what Michelle said that that uh, that uh, he'd been gone. I think uh, she said a week now that he was missing. Wow. Well, Will, the area that and Adam, the area that you and I were, you know, the expedition area, um, yeah. it's it's it really takes the cake for missing people. And there's uh, you know there's a math oh. professor from the U of O just poof gone. Dogs don't find him. SAR teams can't find him. Just boom. And, oh yeah. Uh, when I, hey Tom, when I, you know, you 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 had that great uh, video of you talking about the missing people in the area. So I put it together, and then I'm like, well, let me look up what the current stats are, right? And this was me cutting this thing together back August September. And um, yeah, that area. Weren't there 13 people for August 12, alone? Yeah. yeah. That's it. That was it. Yeah, there That's were twelve incredible. people that went missing in August alone. That's crazy. And, and I mean, I'm, I'm not good at math. But that's a lot. It's a lot, and there are current. There were at the time, currently, 156 at that time active cases of missing people in that area. Do you, really? do you know what time frame it's, that covers, Adam? It, some of them were old. Some of them were like in like ten years old. But um, the uh, uh, the majority of them, no, were much more current. You know, the interesting... You know, they were like within the last couple of years. The interesting thing about that Angeles National Forest is it would be... Any investigation would be pretty hard-pressed to find evidence because it's so rocky there. From, my, from yeah, what the I ground remember. Doesn't, yeah. yeah, yeah, the ground's not good. I go to a few places where the there's a, a creek, but then the creek dries up and... Mm-hmm. You know, and I've I've never found prints. I've never found prints up here. I've I've really never run into. You know, the weirdest thing that I ran into going up there is one time I was and I wasn't looking. You know, but these these creatures were on my radar. But I ha- I have that. You know, I haven't seen one yet, and so I'm like, yeah, I'm probably never going to see. You know, but that's I'm, when I'm you'll alert. see one. <laughs> and um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right when I blow it off. So I'm at I'm at uh, Cloudburst Ridge. And it's like 7,000 feet, and it's just this wonderful, wonderful getaway up there. 
except it, you know, now it's covered with black soot. But uh, anyway, before that, um, I was, I was, and there's a, it's, it's a ridge top around 7,000 feet. And there's, uh, there are, boulders that stick up out of the dirt they're not round sitting on the ground but they're like you know there's they're part of a greater piece of sandstone that, that's that's like down below and granite sometimes and um and i was up there and i i heard very distinctly like a heavy rock clacking on top of another heavy rock and it sounded that's maybe 50, <laughs> sounded maybe 50 yards away right i was like what the hell and now I'm on a mountaintop, so I'm assuming that could have come from anywhere, but I kind of went in the direction where the sound came from, and I could not find rocks. I couldn't find anything that made sense. I mean, there were some, some uh, large rocks behind me, but um, they weren't, were not in the direction where that audio came from. Well, Adam, and, that's interesting. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's just my, my mental impression was sort of like, Something was putting the lid back onto, you know, uh, or like they were closing the door, if you will. It was just kind of a clack. It was bizarre. It wasn't like, you know, you know, when you pick up a rock that, you know, maybe basketball size or something and it's heavy as heck, but right. you can you can pick it up and put it down and you know the sound that makes. This sounded, there was more to it. There, there was more to that, the click that I heard. But, uh, okay, so the area that we were at <clears throat> uh, the first time we went up there. The we'll just call it where the brush piles were. Remember that? Oh yeah, and, oh yeah, yeah. And sure. Skyler got a text. <laughs> yes, I remember that. I remember uh, that. Yeah, that was but right. My oh, brother and I, he he came out from the Midwest, and we were up there. Oh, I don't know. We we're up there about ten or eleven o'clock at night, and we heard that rock clacking from that same area, that same. Oh. Wow. Yeah. So it was very interesting. It was the same thing and it was subtle. It was off towards because, you know, if you if you follow that far enough, you hit like a 1600 foot drop off. Chuck and Forrest, that, the oh. text that they were mentioning that Adam's son got, we were up in the middle ah. of nowhere and there was no cell service. So apparently something got in. So all of a sudden he real loud, we, he, we hear this and it's, what is it? Mickey Mouse, you know, hello, adventurers. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, man. It, yeah, it was funny. Notification. It was funny. Oh, man. That would kind of freak you out. Yeah. Right. Well, and nobody else has cell service. Skyler was the only one who had it. It was hilarious. Yeah. And, and he looked, yeah. and after I, I'm like, you turn that off, right? And he goes, I didn't think I'd get cell service out here. <laughs> it's like, oh, man. <laughs> well, remember you guys were talking about how quiet it was. We get up there and it was like, it should have been just that time of night. You know, all the animals are, you know, squirrels and stuff are chatting. Not a peep. And, and Adam's got it on video, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I've got it. Yeah. I'll send it to you guys. Yeah, it's just, oh, my gosh. So crazy. Well, Adam, and, uh, the door closing is, I mean, the, the rock sound, that, that's yeah. just, that's bizarre. It it really is. It's really strange, and I wonder, you know, part of the connection goes to another dimension. I mean, almost. I mean, it's just almost like you know, you know what I mean. Well, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, but but there are situations, you know, when, like in John Keel's book when he had his sighting, he saw the Yetis, the two of them. It was interesting. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, a sound like that, but it was in a big rocky area like that. Right. And and I know right. of other situations right. that are kind of in similar circumstances. Well, I mean, I mean, it could have even been, this is all speculation, but, you know, and, and there's a million things it could have been that would be right. non-Sasquatch right. related. I mean, I don't want to just jump on the, hit the Sasquatch button with both hands, but, but um, I mean, it was loud enough to feel, to, to seem like it was very close to me as far as like, you know, maybe 50 yards away, but you think it could have been another person um, doing that? Well, I mean, so I'm, I don't think so. Unless they were on another ridge and sound did something funky that I don't know sound normally does. You know what I mean? It, like it's for somewhere, maybe it's 7,000 feet sound from far away. sounds like it's right next to you. You know, I mean, this kind mm -hmm. of phenomena, just because I don't understand everything about sound. But remember Mr. Black 
one of his comments was that the creatures, when it comes to wood knocks and whatnot, that they that those sounds were reported even in areas above the tree line when, um, when there are no know, trees. Uh, where there are no trees, right? And he was pointing. He was saying that um, those creatures are making that audio with their mouth. Exactly, it's tongue and, pops. Uh, it's not wood knocking. It's tongue pops. And I wonder if that maybe I heard if it was a Sasquatch. Maybe I heard more of a tongue pop. I mean, but there's rocks all and over forest, the place. You know, we've talked about that. What it sounded like. Yeah. But also, the, the, there's a ridge just right where that audio was coming from which goes straight down, and I know that's no problem for these things. And I did not go look down the ridge. I just went, honestly, I went looking around for people because I've been up there, and I found stacks of rocks, but they're little bitty things. I mean, obviously people did this. You know, it was like a little rock with a slightly smaller rock on top and a slightly smaller rock on top, you know, this right. kind of little like a little cairn or something. And, I mean, I'm not about to think that's – I, you know, my, my rule of thumb is if a human being could possibly do it, then that's what I'm going to ask. And Tom and Adam, you guys remember we did a little test when we were in the field this past July. And, and Tom, your brother mm-hmm. Dave, was he wandered off a ways away. And I thought, you know, just for the heck of it, let's see how far this sound carries. And took a big chunk of wood and smacked it against a tree a couple times. It didn't go that far. Oh, yeah. Dave wasn't that oh. far away oh, from I for- Remember? Yes. Dave wasn't that far right. away. And he didn't yeah. hear it. And you know yeah, what was funny? Right. When we went up that road, Kurt and I heard, and Laura, um, I didn't think anything of it at first, but we heard a, a loud pop mm-hmm. followed by uh, five other pops. So it was like there was five of us up there. Like It's like somebody did a pop. Counting you. And then they're counting, and... They almost sounded like rifle shots, except there's that's it's just thick woods. Nobody's up now, there. Now there's a remember Tom. It's no rifle range. Yeah. Remember we recorded. Uh, I think her name was Brandy with Milo, up near Fort Lewis, and she actually recorded that sound. And it sounds like rifle fire, but it was actually one of these things and and whatever because they didn't see mechanism. They didn't see the mechanism of, that was making the sound, but it was right. certainly not. You know, something being a chunk of wood being slapped on a tree. No. Oh, no, 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 no. And, well, what, what the group of us, what we experienced at 2.30 in the morning was, oh, that was not a chunk that, of wood. It was like a telephone. That, that was that was something entirely different. But, yeah, I mean. Oh, yeah, that was bizarre. You know, yeah. you hear these stories about wood knocks. And I, I just think, no, that's, and, and it's not what Native folks talk about either. Right. Right, right. Yeah, they got the whistles. The whistles, yeah. Yeah. I've only heard the whistles a couple, two, three. That, the first one was just striking. Yeah. So now, now, as long as you don't out. hear the whistle and then have it followed by, come on over here, big boy, or something like that. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. No one oh. yeah. But uh, it's good thing. Yeah, it's, it's good thing we I've don't have TW back to on that here. Area. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm sorry, Tom. <laughs> no, it was a, it was a skitter road. I I've gone back to the area because you know you want to know exactly where did this happen, and I found the exact. It was an old real dug fir. Two guys probably could not put their arms around that tree, and then it was wow. you know like it was a a very very steep incline. So I'm sure they used that skitter road to just run up and down. Where, it's the, a good, where you heard the whistling? Yeah, where I heard the whistling. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, they're going to use the path of least resistance. So. But here's the thing that's funny. The question I asked myself sometime later was, did we just happen to be at the right place at the right time? I think it might have been more like one of the tires on my truck was in a state of, shall we call it, deferred maintenance. <laughs> and we're, oh, we're in the snow. So we're doing five to seven miles an hour down these switchbacks. Mm-hmm. That would be nothing for one of these things well, if it's curious to be following, if us. you think about it, they don't—they're not something that just bumbles around the forest. You know, right. they're an apex predator. They're very aware of everything that's going on in their environment. They have to to be able to eat. So mm-hmm. we are extremely noisy. We have a—we have a big footprint when we're out there in terms of light and sound <laughs> and visibility. So they could probably hear us a mile away. 
Oh, and yeah. They're, and they're going to come and look. I am. I am. Con- I, to me, it makes more sense that we were just the same to probably follow this. So if I ever do it again, I'm going to have two cheesy little flashlights. I mean, Forrest and Chuck, what do you guys think? <laughs> oh, I, you guys amazed me with never having flashlights. I was like, uh, let me send you some spotlights from Texas. That's, that's um, us when we were teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> we had one. I don't even know who it belonged to. But, but it always seemed to make it on the trips we'd go out. And the flash and the batteries were only half good, maybe. We're not happy in Texas if we don't have, unless we're equipped with one of those million power spotlights, you know. Oh, I used so to have one of those. I used to have one of those. <laughs> well, no, we've we upgraded now. Yeah. We yes, we stopped the Cabela's. We upgraded now. We have, you know, twelve hundred, thirteen hundred lumen floodlights yeah. now. Yeah, these. Yeah, no, <laughs> they're got, nice to I have. And what did we do? We didn't use them. <laughs> well, okay. well, no, we used them. We used them last year. Or, or, sorry, two years a, a, ago. We used them in 2021. We didn't yeah. use them in 2022. Well, the whole point uh, is not. <clears throat> you don't want to drive off anything out there. Yeah. You know, you you kind of want to keep a low profile. If you want them to do things, you need to keep a low profile. Well, I remember when we went up there that the first time, I. I went to uh, Cabela's and I bought one of those Coleman 3000 lumen uh, lanterns. You know, you put a propane thing under it. And, and I remember Will's like, no, 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 turn that thing off, you know. <laughs> well, you know, over the years, I've had the most luck with being the lowest key situation. You know, where there wasn't any light. We didn't make any sound. You just sit and observe, which is, and first, you know, that's how they, they teach you in anthropology. If you want to observe oh. primates in the wild, you want to be as inconspicuous as possible. So that's the, I mean, that's how Diana Fossey got her information on, uh, you know, gorillas and, and you know, uh, then Jane Goodall and chimpanzees. But then sometimes, uh, as Jane Goodall can tell you, that can be a dangerous proposition. Uh, you know, I'm not <laughs> so sure that I would want to go out there, Will, and just sit quietly <laughs> The well, we with, we had uh, we had a quick escape plan. A bigfoot, maybe six <laughs> feet away from me, or even closer. So uh, you know, it, it's it's bad enough looking at them through a pane of glass when they're only about maybe a foot and a half from you, and uh, you know, and you realize that that's all you have between him and you. I mean, I yeah. can't even imagine being in a camper and realizing that it's just on the other side of the wall of the camper because you realize the strength of those animals they you know that thing could have just busted that glass and jerked me through there like well, <laughs> like I, I was a red dog I, you I, know? I got I got to tell you yeah. you know we had our escape plans didn't we fellows and and I yep. know it, it pained Tom greatly but you know for the good of the team he was willing to leave his brother Dave you know, to save the rest of us. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I, was just, I was just wondering who we, who was going to trip who so that the other, the others could get away. Well, you know well, what the was two interesting? Of them, the two of them were at each other all the time. So, I'm, and, you know, I, I know it would pain you to <laughs> oh, lose Dave. Oh, brothers, but, you know. yeah. <laughs> um, but here's what was interesting was I didn't realize that the, the spot, because we didn't know we were going to be in that location until, like, seconds before we just pulled in there but we were right in the middle of this huge huckleberry patch and apparently these things have a hankering mm-hmm. for huckleberries and i picked one i was like oh, yeah. yeah this is now the ones that i'm familiar with are the dark purple ones but this was the i guess ones. it was another variety yeah the red, red ones. ones yeah they thought we we're stealing their huckleberries and they're maybe upset about it i don't no, know I, I don't they don't they weren't aware that we were there they were too far away but um, but you notice that that's something, you know, I told you guys about when we looked the following day, you know, at those berry bushes, uh, and I found areas in Skamania County where whole patches, I mean, like 30 feet across were in, and I try, I used to try things, experiment, see, well, how did they do this? So like on the bushes, I would, you'd grab it low and then, you know, kind of put your hand around it and squeeze a little bit and yank up and it leaves 
it leaves the the plant there with no leaves or most leaves gone and you got a handful of berries and leaves and you just you just stuff in your mouth right if you were one of them and you'd find these whole patches that and uh black cap black caps they seem to really like those and and again i i would read up on these things and i would go out in the spring when they were all these fresh shoots are coming up and you know you grab something you shove it in your mouth and see if it tastes good and surprisingly a lot of those things did taste good oh there's wow. there's nothing on planet earth like those like those uh dark huckleberries i mean it's like oh first thing i had that they, they look like blueberries and that's that's where the similarity mm -hmm. ends but you had mentioned where keep an eye out where they just strip the whole leaf strip the strip the bush yeah and kurt and Laura and I went back a couple weeks, no, about a week after that experience. And I didn't take pictures because, you know, you're just out wandering around. But I saw a bunch of them. They just stripped leaves and all, everything. Oh, yeah, everything. And you'll see lots well, of it. Do that. Girls yeah, exactly. Do that, but they don't use their hands. They use their, they, they, they use their mouth. They just run it through yeah. their mouth. Well, you yeah. can see where it did that, exactly. Are you guys familiar with the William Rose story that was in John Green's well, book? Didn't he do one uh, doing that? Right. It was it was sitting in a in a bunch of huckleberry bushes, coincidentally, and he and he pulled back he pulled back a bush or whatever and saw the thing. It was sitting right there in front of him, and he said it was it was wrapping its lips around, um, apparently leaves and berries, and it would strip them that way. Oh wow! And it sounded. Oh, just he like actually saw it. That's exactly the way a gorilla does it. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. It sounded exactly like that. See, I find it fascinating when you have the evidence and then you have an eyewitness that said, yep, I saw him do that. You That's what they Corroborating did. information, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, well listen, it's highly doubtful that that individual was familiar with how gorillas eat as it would, well. It wouldn't be. It would be something, just a, a natural way to do it. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm just saying that, that uh, as an individual reporting that, they wouldn't have oh, in their mind, yeah. oh, I saw a gorilla. I mean, people don't, you're you're just not likely to have people see uh, you know a gorilla uh, do something like that in the wild. Right, uh, and I think that was you know, in the mid 1950s. So they saw, and then they report that they saw uh, Bigfoot doing that. So it's not like something that they could you know you know take from one individual species and transfer it onto another. Right, I, I think that was in the mid. I think it was 55. Was that when his encounter was? I believe. Um, anyhow. It was at a time period when, you know, there wasn't National Geographic showing th things on TV a whole bunch where you would have seen don't that. So, no. Yeah, well, you wouldn't have even seen it. I don't, was no. National Geographic even out in those days? I don't know. I don't know. But it wouldn't have been on TV, in, in, you know, in those times anyway. So, um, very interesting. Well, listen, guys, we're just about out of time here, unfortunately. Um oh. Very interesting talk. Well, Great geez, group. But we were just getting wound up. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, we'll just have to save it for next time. <laughs> uh, Adam, we're so glad that you were able to join us today. Absolutely. And and you're always welcome to come on with us. Anybody have any last thoughts or anything they want to bring up before we uh, call us a wrap? Well, I'm just going to say that this... I like this format. This is it's it's fun. It's relaxed. It's enjoyable. This is my first one, and Will, this is just like the way you and I yak all the time. So, the fact that we get to share this with our audience, I think, is just fantastic. Well, that's where we were. Remember, Forrest and Chuck, we were talking one day after recording, and and I think we were about an hour in, and Forrest says, and how, many, dang yeah, it. "How many times did I tell you, shut up, Will? Shut up, Will? Shut up." <laughs> She's like, "Dang it, Will, you should be recording this." people would enjoy hearing all this <laughs> i'll tell you what would be fun if we get together this summer if we do it again and we have an actual campfire and we sit around and oh yeah and, and do it on this. do it on video oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, adam, yeah adam would catch us you know yep. their pants down probably so yeah <laughs> <laughs> Gotta do it on video. We gotta go to the hottest hotspot we can find. And I tell you guys, I'm gonna be whistling for part of that. Oh, make sure you <laughs> right? make sure you bring Tom. Milo. Tom, be sure to bring your brother Dave. I'll bring if, Dave. If, if Adam's gonna whistle, we whistle. need to have Dave. And we're gonna have a basket of basket of huckleberries. Absolutely. Now, are, are you gonna are you gonna tell Dave? 
Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I'm going to spring it off. Huckleberries around his neck. <laughs> oh. There you go. That's it. That's kind of like the ham. Come at me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. With that, we'll call it a wrap. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Thanks for listening to this episode of Creek Devil. If you or anyone you know has had an encounter with these creatures, please contact us at williamjevning at yahoo.com. That's William, J-E-V-N-I-N-G, at yahoo.com. All communication is confidential. Join us for another program next week. And until then, keep your eyes open out there.